Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. I'm Colin, the main host, and with me for part two of our discussion in episode six of Korra, I've got Kevin with me again. What's up, Kevin? Hi, Colin. Long time no see. It must have been <laughs> 20, possibly even 30 seconds. <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, so, uh, we are continuing our discussion of the legend of Korra. Um, now we are, uh, into our discussion of episode six from season one and the winner is dot, dot, dot. So, so yeah, so obviously last episode we talked about, uh, you know, this amazing kind of, uh, condensed episode of the love triangle and the pro bending matches and the introduction of Tano and the wolf bats and Korra and Mako having a kiss, Bolin's heartbreak, noodle drunk Bolin, and then Korra and Bolin making up and Korra and Mako seeing, uh, well, it's not going to work out, I guess, but still stealing glances at each other. So uh, suspense that brings us into uh, to episode six, and uh, something I wanted to note at the beginning of this episode is that as they are, uh, you know, doing a little bit of the uh, the radio announcement here, we get from the announcer, Cabbage Corp, the top name in technology for over fifty years. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good, I love it. Like that, you like you were saying, they just they sneak in what they can. My questions are. Did he go back into cabbages and make all that money to then found Cabbage Corp? Uh, Did he bail on the cabbages with his cart when he said, forget it? And then was just like, sweet, I'll just invent this other company. And then <laughs> so many questions I want answered. So part of it is answered in um, The Rift. Yes. Uh, one yes, of the comics. Because like, he does get to see kind of the vehicle and uh-huh. everything. Um, and uh, for our listeners, I highly recommend a video by uh, one of our favorite YouTubers of the show, uh, Hello Future Me. Um, Tim, he does this amazing video on the economics of the Cabbage Man in Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. Oh my. He does like a 25 minute episode, like video breaking down like the cabbage economics, like how he would like actually applying like real economic, like knowledge and policy. And it's like, I learned so much about economics in this video. <laughs> and it was so funny. Cause he has these like moments where it gets like the screen, like turns black and white and it slowly zooms in on him. And he's always pitting like the cabbage man as like this, like, f- like this hero against his foe, the avatar who is at every turn, <laughs> trying to like ruin his business <laughs> uh, oh boy, i'm gonna go find that <laughs> uh we'll be sure to uh share that on our facebook page uh um so uh, be sure to uh, check it out there we can't really share that kind of stuff on instagram unfortunately so if you're looking for stuff like that check us out on facebook at legend of portal cast uh, so that's the last shameless plug i'll do at the beginning of the episode uh but <laughs> as we as we get into this um we quickly hear over the radio Amon's declaration and calling on the Republic City Council to shut down the finals. Um, again, it is this, it's this crazy moment of like, now we have this technology of radio in the mm. world of Avatar and the way that it's utilized to communicate to the masses and Amon having this understanding of like turning that in his favor and understanding that is the quickest way for him to have a platform to reach all of these people. And it's that that's the amazing thing about him as a villain, because 
you know, if without radio, the only way that a villain or an antagonist or someone trying to lead a movement would be able to communicate that message would be by showing up in person and trying to convince these people or sending emissaries to kind of spread that message. But still, there's nothing more powerful than coming from the leader of a given movement themselves and Amon recognizing this and hijacking the radio frequency to get that message across. It's a very good point. It's a sense, you know, as we'll see later, I mean, that's pretty much uh, all of uh, all of human history is how you use your power and how you use the resources at your disposal. I was thinking about, I mean, think about in the, like you said, in Avatar, essentially the way to show your power was to go over and knock the other person's, you know, castle over. Yeah. That was it. Like, if you didn't do that, then no one cared. Um, this is Amon knowing that, well, it's like, the power he has is the power of minds mm. and radio is the perfect medium for him. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's stirring up the pot of just the fear and frustration that so many people in Republic city feel about these benders in their lives who oppress them, who are maybe like taking their jobs and just all of these things and kind of redirecting that frustration into joining his movement and really kind of adding to that and being like, look, like I have the answer to this. I have a solution to figure all of this out. And it's just like, all right, I'm going to communicate that to everyone and dividing the city. And like, again, it's this, it's the idea of any like leader or cult leader of, you know, utilizing a way to divide people who might have friendships or connections by just saying like, look, they're all together. It's an us versus them type of situation. And like Aman is leaning in heavily to that for this episode. And I mean, over the course of the season as well. Yeah. Not to get too far into it, but if anyone gets a chance, I highly recommend the book Sapiens. Uh, I think it's called like a short history of us. The book is about uh, that what they find interesting with humans is that we can fictionalize. We can think in our mind different points of view and different thoughts. Like I can, like I currently have a cat on my lap getting pets. I can imagine in my mind the cat jumping off and running and eating food because well, I wouldn't be surprised if he does it right now. But we can see that. And what's interesting also is that that can also play into how we view things. Mm. Where if I, t- like right now, if I say giant pink purple elephant, people are now going to think of a giant pink purple elephant just because I gave you that idea and I'm doing this over the airwaves. So Amon is like, it's kind of one of those, like anyone else in history, who's not a charlatan, but who can convince people, because if you can convince people of your point of view and you get them to see what you want them to see, for instance, that the benders are against you, the benders are doing this. It's, it's the power of our minds. It's a very interesting concept. And Amon clearly knows what he's doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which is a dangerous foe. It's not just because he has he's yet to really use any power at this point. He's mm-hmm. yet to do anything. He yeah. just made radio broadcasts. He has some posters at this point. That's all we know of him. But he's powerful enough to shut down Pro Bending's final. Yeah. And that's what makes him such a great villain is that, you know, it is, you know, we see him take someone's bending away uh, in one of the earlier episodes. But then it's this idea of, again, he is one of those villains who feels like he is always two steps ahead. Um, I was just going to say that he's like someone who's like, Mm. yeah, he's already like made his moves in chess. He's already kind of setting up what he wants you to do, Mm. making you see what he wants you to see. Absolutely. 
And, and you know, and again, we see that uh, when, you know, we saw Korra try to confront him on like the Avatar Aang statue island and Amon captures her, but does nothing to her. And oh, oh, the mind meld. Yeah. And it's this idea of just like, you know, I have the power to do this. Was it like uh, certain Native American tribes would do that in warfare where mm. they wouldn't, they'd go into the camps at night, they wouldn't actually kill anyone. They would just go and they would just like tap them on the shoulder and then leave. Yeah. And just let, just let them know you're not safe. Yep. And we could do it. Yeah. Again, playing into what you were just saying, this like this fictionalization, but then just like making that something very tangible and letting their mind kind of play against them, understanding mm-hmm. what that does for them. Um, so, you know, again, this brings us, you know, because there is the call from Amon to shut down the finale, uh, the, the finals, we, you know, it's now up to the council uh, to shut down the arena. And Korra, Mako, and Bolin rush over to City Hall and burst through the doors to, you know, you know, exclaim their protest that, you know, this is something they shouldn't do. And it, it was interesting because, again, they come in. Tarlock and Tenzin and everyone, they're all on the same side. Like, look, we cannot risk innocent lives, you know, to continue this. And yeah. the argument that, you know, Korra and Mako and Bolin are making, like, look, it's, it is the, the, it is the classic argument that, I mean, frankly, we have heard, especially so much in the last 30 years. It's just like, if you, you know, if you do that, if you give in to fear, you let the terrorists win. And it's this yep. idea of just like, if you do not, if you give in to their demands, then it's like, that's, we've already kind of lost to a degree. Um, yeah. But, you know. Without I, the power having to be used, it's being used. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, you know, we clearly have these kind of two opposing forces on the council with Tarlock and Tenzin. But the fact that they are agreed on this kind of shows that. And, you know. The, the other three members are just like figureheads. They just, I feel like, are they're not really given much. And, and honestly, that's like, frankly, again, we talked about in last episode about how, you know, Korra has to kind of, uh, the, the series has to really kind of condense everything. I wanted more politics. Like, I wanted to know, like, oh, more they, and, about, like... Oh, it can get so crazy, I feel like. Yeah, and it's just like, and... how, how does this, because it, like, it's kind of, it is a council, but it's just like, it kind of is like, it kind of is like an oligarchy with like, you know, you have these like, you know, representatives, but it's just like, whose interest do they really have? Because clearly you have a lot of these like non-benders who feel oppressed in the city and their needs and like, you know, their calls for help aren't really being answered or met because it's just like, we don't really know like how the government is structured in Republic City. Um, it, I mean, that that's I mean, that's more of me from like just like a civic side of things. I just want to know because. Oh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel you. I would love to hear more about this. Yeah. But, you know, of course, you know, even though they try to make the arguments, uh, you know, Tenzin and Tarlock are still very staunch in their response. But then Lynn steps in and she basically says, look, I will have the metal benders defend the arena. I will provide the security for the arena. You know, we need to be able to uh, continue doing this because I think that Lynn also does like, I mean, it's not surprising at all. 
Like she is the daughter of Toph Beifong. Toph is the last person who would freaking like bend to the will of someone's threats. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, exactly. They are not someone to take this crap. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, again, we see Tarlock's kind of slimier, slipperier side because he he sees this opportunity and he understands like, okay, clearly I butt heads with, with Lynn. And he's like, okay, she brings in the police force. They defend it. Nothing happens. I lose nothing. She defends it mm. and she fails. I gain an advantage. I look all the better. Yep, absolutely. And it, I mean, it's again, it's like Tarlock is is such a great kind of like additional like villain in this season for that because it just he is this political power player um, that we you know frankly we we don't really get to see too many political power players. In Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, I mean, the, like, I'd say the one that we really get is um, Long Fang. And, oh, yeah, I was uh, just trying to think of their name, yeah. Yep, and, it, you know, it's this idea that Long Fang realized, like, how he could manipulate others to kind of just, like, forward his own agenda and, you know, how he was going to kind of progress. But it, it with, with Long Fang, it's like he even though he wasn't the earth king and he wasn't the all powerful, like, you know, voice, he essentially was because he was the puppet master behind the earth king. He was influencing policy and decisions by being this like most trusted advisor. And clearly we see Tarlock is in that position because as soon as he changes his vote, the other three council members besides Tenzin, like they all are just like, all right, I'm with you, I guess. And it's this idea of like, you know, they seem like they're very passive figures and they seem older. And it's this idea of like, okay, like who, who are these representatives? Like, and like, how were they decided? Like, is this like an issue with Republic City that you kind of have these more kind of passive, uh, you know, leaders who are representing you know, the parts of the city, because clearly we have the kind of the two power players between Tenzin and Tarlock that, which isn't, and that's a good point. Yeah. Why did they just fold? Like, were they always in Tarlock's like pocket and just waiting to say something? And it was just Tenzin saying, no, I want to do this. And then they were waiting for someone bigger to say something or Mm. were like, yeah, like why are there these two big power players on this council and then these other three that like are from whatever part of the city and no one cares <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah how did how did they get here were they like you know it's like yeah what was their backstory were they big players growing up <laughs> you know or did they suck and no one cared like yeah knows? well and it's For interesting because sure. that, that's why i hope we will get more answers in the uh the new comic series that's out right now for avatar um imbalance uh, that's kind of talking about the early beginnings um, to Republic City uh, when it was known as Cranefish Town. Um, we get to kind of see the early form of government there. And it's like it it seems pretty different because there is a council in those comics, but it is like a council of it is almost like a dozen people. Like it is something mm. that is like it's a wider group of individuals and at that time it was a smaller like it was a smaller town which is interesting because you have a smaller population but you have more representation now republic city is this massive city and 
public policy is being determined by five individuals. That's a very good point. Yeah, I could see oligarchy, and that would be a good analog, essentially, for the 1920s. Yeah. I I mean, again, it's this idea of, like, you know, that's more of, I think, especially the the more east asian influence uh to republic city because obviously america in the early 20th century was a, a like a democracy and you had you know congress and you had all of these kinds of like checks and balances and like everything there with the different branches of government whereas you know it's it, i don't know it's interesting because like china was still under rule i mean well early well 20s in china was like was that like uh, around Box, just, the Boxer Rebellion? Boxer right? Rebellion. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I have in my head. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think it was still very clan based. I am not an expert in, my, in Chinese history, though. But I mean, I, I think, you know, for as much as we want to deep dive into it and conceptualize, I think the fact of the matter is, is like Mike and Brian are like, all right, we're working with a tight script. We have these two power players. We can't really afford to dig in deeper to these other representatives. And again, it's just like, that's the, that's what happens when you have a faster show that is moving at this pace. It just, you can't, you don't have time for that because it is, yes, it could be part of the overall story, but this is a show about Cora and the immediate characters around her. And that's why Tenzin and Tarlock are these prominent figures on the council because the other ones, they don't interact with Cora. So it's like they are not really part of this story at all. Yeah. So, you know, obviously they change their mind. Um, and we get this like nice scene between Tenzin and Lynn. And, you know, they. Yes. You know, it's like, you know, she kind of gives in the cold shoulder, like walking out and everything. And Cora's just like, she's like, what is her deal? Like, you know, <laughs> it's like we're on the same side and like. Tenzin's just like, well, she's always been like that. You know, she, she was, uh, I've known her since we were kids and she has always been this way. And Cora is just <laughs> like, oh, oh, I get it now. Yeah. You were with Lynn <laughs> and like, and Tenzin gets so flustered. But then like in the middle of it, like he, I love this little moment that he gets where he's just like, you know, Lynn and I were just realized that we were going on separate our separate ways we were you know growing apart and we had different goals and why, why am i talking about this <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. i love it so good uh you know and again we we get to have a great transition over to the arena um lynn is prepping the arena doing the security sweeps and tenzin is coming in and being like did you check underneath the stands? Like, did you do this? And like, Lynn is just like, all right, come on. And come on, bro. But give me me some, (laughs) but then they have this really nice moment where he's just like, look, he's like, I, I want to do this for Cora. And he's like, can't we just work together? And then she's like, like old times. He's like, Hmm, like old times. And like in that moment, I'm just like, all old people know each other. All old people know each other. And it's just like, <laughs> I want to see those old times. Like, that's, oh, that would be cool. uh, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, you know, we had the 70 year gap and it made sense, but it's like, there's just, there's so much, there's so much that we like, you know, that happened. And like, that's so much of like the great part about Cora is that there is so much that we don't know. Yeah. We exactly. know 
we know the part way before and we know what's happening in the present, but there's so much that we missed in between. And who knows how much like Mike and Brian even know. Like, and that's what I, you know, just from like a writing perspective, I would love to know just like, not even if they had to tell us the details, but like, how far out did you map the history of Avatar and like what happened with all of these characters Mm. in that 70 year span? Like, you know, do, do you have, you know, or is it just like, okay, we know what we're working with. We can kind of hint at this and, you know, kind of have that in their general kind of character description. And that, that's what I love so much about Korra as a series, you know, you, cause you have these older characters who have this connection to the past and it's never leaned too heavily on for this like sake of nostalgia or the sake of just like, Ooh, if only if you knew it's just like, Mm -hmm. they're real characters who, you know, have these moments where the past kind of comes up in this way. And I just, I love this scene of like Lynn and Tenzin just kind of, you know, putting aside differences and working together because this common goal to, you know, uh, defend against Amon and protect Korra. I, again, I just love how complex they make this, that they make us ask questions like this. <laughs> they, they leave us just enough crumbs to what they might know or they might not know or what might be later. Oh, yeah. So good. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> so that brings us to the pro bending final. Um, and of course we get this wonderful intro of the fire ferrets like going onto the stage and like Pabu doing Pabu. this adorable little just like uh, routine and like Bolin is and so like, proud. Look at him. <laughs> He's so good. Look what he did. And then it's immediately eclipsed by like Tano and the wolf bats coming out in these like dramatic capes and horrifying wolf bat masks and pyrotechnics oh. going off inside of the arena. <laughs> Just to show off, just to be like, yeah, that was that was funny, guys. <laughs> but then Bullet's just like, you were still great, Pabu. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Anyone can howl. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I love Bolin. He's so, so good. good. He is so pure. Uh, um, so, of course, it gets into the match. And then immediately we see that, like, you know, the wolf bats are just, like, using dirty gameplay. And... It, like, honestly, like, this, I can't even imagine the frustration that they're feeling with, because I think we've all been in sport, if we've you've played a sport before, and you've been in a position where you feel like the ref is not calling stuff your way, y- even if it's, like, you may be biased, like, even that perception that, like, a call was not made is, it's so enraging, and the, oh, and then is, it gets oh. in your head because then you're like, well, what if I keep playing the way I usually play? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, but then I'm going to get, uh, you know, then I'm going to get written up for it. Oh, it's like, so then do I have to change everything? Oh, yeah. The, the mental, the mental strain of uh, I umpired in Little League for a while and I had a low strike zone. Everyone kind of knew it. <laughs> um, but like what? But it was funny. It's like and I'd like try to adjust for it. But one of the dads, like his kid was kind of complaining and the dad's like. Kid, I don't like it either, but he's calling it for both sides, so just get used to it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it was one of those things where it's like, okay, it's like so everyone could be frustrated, but like if I was like calling it on like on one team, mm. like and if I was a kid on the team or uh, or if I was a dad on the team, yeah, oh, uh, thing, you know, things would be flying. Yeah, 
definitely. But you know, and it's, this was so blatant. Oh, oh my I god! Know. And that's it wasn't even like oh, there was some questionable ones. There was like, come on, dude. <laughs> yeah, and it's it is this just crazy feeling of just like. You know, again, it's this idea of like it really is all in the ref's hand and like there's no oversight. It is all entirely on this ref. And it's like that is so frustrating for Cora, Mako, and Bolin. And like they just get stopped this first like, you know, fight, but then it's just like, oh man, you think that they go over, but Cora is just like hanging on. And manages oh, to so cool. throw Mako up. I mean, like, Ab- like Abigail made a note when we were watching this together. She's like, Avatar powers aside, Korra is just so strong. Like, for yeah. her to be able to do that, it's just like, that takes so much strength. Yeah, I always, I was, I'd be curious to do, like, an analysis of, I, at some point, like, I'm pretty sure Avatar's gravity is less than ours. Um, but I have no evidence to back that up. Um <laughs> It's just based on what I've seen, but I, I get the feeling that everyone is like uber strong, because going back to even um you know in the old show, it's like when you see Earthbenders like shattering rock like around them and stuff like that, or even a uh, Iro. I mean, with the chains like going back like a dozen episodes of this show, like whipping the chains into the rock and shattering it, and I'm like, either those rocks are made of gravel, or these people can freaking yeah like nail some stuff oh and in that and same episode zuko think, yeah. like chopping that those chains down the shackles with his freaking foot <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah that's a good point by because it, it's one of those things where it's like yeah i mean even with the the avatar everyone's bamf thing she is like uber bamf yeah <laughs> she not only throws him up then she has the strength to get up and then go whoop ass <laughs> yeah oh my gosh she came ready Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to Legend of Portalcast. Um, just want to thank you again for listening in. Hope you're enjoying the discussion on Legend of Korra. I know it was very exciting for us to dive back into this, and we're excited to uh, get more going. Um, so just a heads up into what's going to be coming next week. Uh, we have got a two-part series, potentially more, specifically on Azula. So we are really excited to uh, do this. It was a huge deep dive, and we're actually probably going to be recording more parts because there is so much to dive in regarding everything about her, and she is definitely one of our favorites of the show. Um, So uh, that'll be coming out next week, part one of that. Um, And just remember to uh, check us out on all the social medias, Legend of Portalcast at Facebook and Instagram, Portalcast Pod on Twitter, and then visit our website at legendofportalcast.com where you can subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. And if you are subscribing there, uh, feel free to leave us a rating and review. It really helps in terms of getting more folks to find out about us. And as we are moving into a year filled with amazing Avatar content and years to come with this Netflix show, um, we're really excited to continue talking about it, and your support means so much. All right. Thank you all so much and uh, enjoy the rest of the episode. Bye. So, you know, the fight continues and it brings us to that second round and it ends in the tiebreaker and that amazing moment of Korra just being like, I'm ready for this. She has been waiting. And I love that we see that like moment and then just like, 
it plays out in slow motion. And then they rewind it back. And and then they show the camera angle from it further away, showing (laughs) how she faked him out, and then was like, ba-bam. Oh, my God. Uh, I loved it. I love what they do with such, like, what, with what they have, what they could do. Oh, oh yeah, and I mean it's it's such a great just like you know you've got like a sport mo like a like a sport when you just you know it's that feeling of like you know a soccer player just like going in between someone's legs and just like burning mm-hmm. them or like a hockey player you know just like managing to like, like just yeah oh, you just God. know it's a sick move and you're just yeah. like all right that was cool yeah <laughs> oh man. And then, of course, after this, you know, they're in the final round and then they just like the, the the dirty play just continues. And like the rocks inside of the water. Again, what we were talking about in last episode, this idea that we haven't really seen, you know, bender these types of like bending forms fighting against each other in this proximity in this way like this. You know, the idea of putting rocks inside of a water stream is horrifying but like brilliant at the same time exactly (laughs) well and that that's why i thought it was so cool that they introduced not only pro bending but later on they introduced them a little bit more the triads Mm. which is it's such a great idea because now i mean other than airbenders which aren't out there for the most part um if you're on the streets fighting crime it's like before an avatar everyone kind of kept to their own kind so it was a battles of different asymmetries Mm -hmm. um and different parts of the, uh, of well, the triangle essentially, but you know, different parts of the rock paper scissors game that is um, bending. And now, when you have a triad, it's a little more interesting because now you can have different. It's a little bit more. It's symmetric in terms of the powers that are involved, but now it's a little bit more strategy involved. Um, like, how are you going to use your combinations? And like, yeah, like you said, like what crazy combinations can they come up with to? outwit and outfight the others absolutely and, and, I mean, and they that, had to have done that once or twice before like that's not oh, something they're just like oh this will be fun let's just put it together and make slurry yeah <laughs> you know and it really is this like I, I love that you brought that up too about the triads because it is this idea of like this is this modern world now as the world grows smaller and you have this melting pot of republic city and you have people with ill intentions to you know, who have these different forms of bending, but I think it's, it's so much of that is also what lends to Amon's argument that like, okay, before benders were oppressive. We were, oh, that's true. And it's like, but now it's like when you have these gangs who are utilizing all forms of bending to like oppress in general, it doesn't become this thing of like, oh, well, these firebenders are bad or these earthbenders are corrupt and, like, you know, things like that. Just, like, no, it's just benders who are these negative force. And, like, yeah, you can have positive interactions with benders, but, like, if you see that happen and it's affecting your day-to-day life and you're being bullied and threatened and, like, all that kind of stuff, it's, like, you're going to get sick of that real fast. Yeah. And all it has to be is like 99.9% of benders can be fine. It's the visible uh, abuses of power that can be pointed to that give him on his power. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Cause like, I mean, look at, you know, and not to relate it to this, but like 
you know, terrorism is awful and terrible, the percentage chance that any of us will ever be involved in it is unbelievably minuscule. Um, but that doesn't matter because all that needs to happen is that you can think it's possible. Mm. And that's all the power, you know, that terrorists need, unfortunately, is they just need to make you think it could happen. Mm-hmm. And that's where Aman is playing is he just needs you to think that all benders are terrible. He just needs you to think that they like you might go your whole life without having a bender do something bad to you, but they could. Yep. And what are you going to do to stop it? And again, it's that like that experience that you have, it may just be a small like a small spark or a small flame. But that's where Amon coming in over the radio, he becomes the fan. And suddenly that fire grows and it spreads and it becomes something that is wildly out of control and you have people who are fed up with it. And they find camaraderie in those who are also fed up with it, um, you know. Which which kind of brings us to this like dramatic finale. Uh, you know, they the wolf bats win, and they defeat the fire ferrets through this like kind of cheating and everything. And then when Tano announces like who else wants a piece, and then it cuts to oh, the audience. And- I love them doing the subtlety. Mm-hmm. And it's so simple because you know those people are sitting there watching this whole thing, waiting for that one moment, mm-hmm. and then all they had to do was just pull it right up. Oh, oh, I love how they did the scene. Also, side note, before we get to the scene with uh, the Equalist, my favorite part is the uh, the cosplayers for uh, the Fire <laughs> the Ferrets. Super fans. Yeah, I just want to go back to that. I just <laughs> want to go back to that. <laughs> They're like wearing glasses, dressed up. Oh gosh. Because <laughs> um, I think that they pop up in this like or like you know a couple of the fights back when Cora came up and whooped everyone. But I just had to come back to that and like, oh, that was freaking hilarious in the audience. But. Um, yeah, seeing these people lift, oh, it's so good. Yeah, I love how they do it subtly, and they don't do it immediately. It's like they they put the mask up, then they watch more of the fight. Mm-hmm. Mask up, watch and, more. And, of and uh, the last note I mask will make up. the the last note I will make too about the pro vending match is also how the announcer is making amazing commentary and how he is just he is serving the tea with like his like opinion about all of this. And he's just like, well, that is oh, clearly a foul. It's just like, but I guess it's not. He's like, I don't know what match <laughs> the refs are watching. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, I love it. it it's so good. Uh, I, yeah. This announcer, he, he makes this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the equalists slowly reveal themselves. And again, it's this idea of just like, they're hiding in plain sight. And that's what makes like the equalists, in this way so effective because they're just like everyone else. They're people. And now it's this idea of those people being empowered by the electric glove and what a power move that is in a way to respond to the metal bending police force. It's, it's, I mean, it is such a great representation of like the constant struggle of like this this idea in humanity of the weapons versus armor and how yeah as armor progresses there is always going to be a way like there will always come weapons that will like find a way to circumvent like circumvent that and this idea that you know they will you know, yes, you have these like these metal bending, even like Lynn says, is like our our 
our metal bending uniforms are impervious to chi blocking. And it's just like, they know that. They know it's been an issue with them. So they're like, okay, what do we do? It's this idea of like, okay, the knights have these, like the armor. It's like, what do we do? Okay, we create these like huge swords that can cleave through that armor. Or the idea of like, you know, an arrow. It's just like, okay, how are we going to get through that? It's like, okay, well, let's uh, see what we can do with like a cannonball or a bullet. And it's this idea that there's always this like push and pull between weapons and armor and Amon utilizing technology and of course, we know the way that it's being funded through Asami's father um, and utilizing that to gain that edge and suddenly put a group of individuals who have kind of had this power and have gone, frankly, unchecked because no one can really stand up to these metal benders. Like, that's the crazy part when you think about it. Like that's the, a good point. The, the yeah, metal, because the, like yeah. no, they can. The whole point of them is that they can stop the triads. They can stop so, the triads. They, I mean, in, like they can get places period, that means quickly. They can stop everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Oh man. Was well, uh, uh, what's the quote? Um, God created man, and Samuel Colt made him equal. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of what I thought. With this was uh, yeah, because all of a sudden electricity. It's like everyone has the power. Yep. Everyone can have the power. Mm-hmm. And all yep. of a sudden, these people that, whether or not they were being oppressed, at a minimum, felt they were being oppressed. And anyone who has ever studied any of history and the French Revolution knows you tick off enough people, shit goes down when they realize they can upend it on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, Absolutely. It's not great. Yep. Ah, oh, man. Um, and, and it's amazing because, like, they take down everyone so quickly. That's like the crazy part about this and this element of surprise that even though how prepared they were for all of this, they managed to take everyone down. They take Lin and Tenzin down immediately and they are just taking down all the metal bending cops. And it's this like horrific scene of like when they show that wide shot and you just see lightning arcing through the crowd and then it oh. goes, of course, this it's a very serious dramatic moment. But then again, Abbott, like Mike and Brian know how to balance and they go to the announcer and he's just like, metal bending cops are dropping like flies with, with the gloves. It's like, there's one in, inside here. He's raising the glove. <laughs> Looks like I'm going to be electrocuted. I am currently wetting my pants. <laughs> <laughs> again, uh, the break, just finding a way to get just a bit of comedy in on a very serious moment. Oh, I love it. Uh, um, and then, you know, as Cora and Mako and Bolin are in the water, the lieutenant comes in and, like, electrocutes the water, and they are just, like, sitting ducks in there. And the lieutenant dragging them away, and we have Cora get this brief flash of, like, these, these visions of Aang and of Toph. And this other mysterious figure. And I mean, it's crazy to just like see, see this, like, cause this is the first time that those visions show up for Korra. And yeah. I remember when this episode dropped, that was like one of the biggest oh shit moments of just like, oh my God, oh my God, that was old. Ang. That was like, that yeah. was Ang. That was Toph. Like, oh my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> So many questions. I know. Ah, so cool. 
Um, and and then of course Amon using this moment, the theatrics of it all, and understanding again that power. He has just shut down this arena, and now he has this huge stage and the symbolism behind it. He takes away Tano's bending so easily. It's so brilliant. You watch this guy just beat the Avatar, granted by cheating, but just beat the Avatar and is currently the best bender, at least in the arena, and it's gone. But like, what's so amazing is that Amon's kind of like his statement here. And his point about, he's like, these are the best representatives of bending. And they won by cheating. Bullies. And it's like, oh, he's this is so why I was right. <laughs> going back to what I was thinking before, I'm starting to wonder if if he just knew these guys were going to cheat or if he's the one who like funded it. That's what I he's was thinking. He's the one who paid off the refs. Yeah. And then helped them and was like their sponsor or something. And I'm like, because this is one of those like such deep dives. It's either... Because a, a person like Amon, and at this point you have to imagine they clearly are thinking, like you said, like 10 steps ahead. He probably wouldn't leave something like that up to chance that they would cheat or that they would be able to get away with it. He probably had to make sure it would work and probably A, made sure those guys would cheat and B, made sure the ref wouldn't do anything about it. Yeah. So he can get this moment where he now could take down this quote-unquote best representation because he set them up to fail and show themselves as terrible. I mean, they're terrible people that happen to be benders, but for him, all he has to do is show that they're terrible benders. He doesn't have to let people worry about that distinction. Yeah, and it's this idea of Amon just echoing the inequality that has been growing over the years. And this idea of just, again, it's fanning that flame of saying... These like these benders, they are bullies and they are like imposing this power on the world. But now with these gloves, people have a way to fight back. And it's like at first it was chi blocking. And it's like, you know, they were training like people to learn chi blocking and everything. And like, yeah, that's like that's one way to like kind of learn to defend yourself. But still, at the end of the day, it's like you have to get close enough to them to actually be able to do that. And it's like, if you don't like, if you don't have like a way to like really, if you don't have that precision to know how to do that, like it's still like, there's a lot that that takes, but suddenly the glove just levels the field in such a profound way. And Amon just stating that now the revolution has begun. This is the moment that he's been waiting for, that he's been building up towards and utilizing this platform and something that the whole city is so tapped into and is so passionate about. Again, he used the radio before to reach out to these people. Now he's like, all right, now I'm going to show my face in front of all these people and I'm going to show them all what I can do. And I'm going to show them why we should be feared and respected. So good. (laughs) Ah, man, he's such a great villain. I, I love... Ah, oh, it's such a such a great storyline for this first season, um, but of course it, it doesn't end there. Um, we get Lynn slowly rising, and uh, you know she is going to go for this fight, and she is trying to get back in the action. Cora's back in the action. She does this like water tornado up, but she doesn't quite make it, and then Lynn comes through and is does this beautiful move of just throwing the cable down to Cora and just propelling her up into the like oh it was the roof. I was oh. so cool 
gosh, it's, it's amazing. And just like, and what's cool is that, you know, again, it's this like, you know, we see a little bit of the foreshadowing uh, earlier when Tenzin was speaking with Lin and just saying like, you know, uh, well, Lin was just like, wow, you know, it's like, I can't believe it was your father reincarnated into her. She's tough as nails. <laughs> and, and Tenzin being like, reminds me of someone else at her age. It's like, I think you might, mm. would, uh, the two of you might actually find that you have a lot in common. And you know, we've seen Cora and Lynn butting heads this whole time. And then the payoff of Lynn and Cora working together to like do oh. this. It's so great. Oh my God. It's so love- good. Exactly. Like it's, that's why I love that. Like we were doing these episodes as a combo because they really do intertwine so perfectly. Mm-hmm. There's so many story, like storylines started earlier on that finally come to fruition now. Oh, and that's that's the thing too about Korra is that you know as I was kind of getting ready for this episode, I was like, okay, I know we we're doing episode five and six. I was like, but what like what are the individual things that happen in these episodes? And that's the thing with Korra is that I I always have a harder time remembering the specifics in individual episodes because these stories blend so much, and that the like it is such a fast season, and it's all such a just continuous story that there's no kind of island hopping like there was in season one and season three of avatar and even like the arcs that happened in season two of avatar you still can like kind of pinpoint like when certain things happen but like if you think about like the desert and the library like okay those are like i know that the library is very distinguishable but the desert and it's just like you can still pick out those moments but like for cora so much of it blends together. And I think it's this testament to Korra being this kind of just, instead of a collection of individual episodes, it really is this just like whole cinematic narrative going over the course of the season. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I love it. Like going back through it now, I'm like, geez, I can't believe they were doing this with the thought that this could be it. Yeah. Oh man. Um, could you imagine if, I mean, not to spoil anything, Kip, if you're listening to us, <laughs> don't listen um <laughs> the what they could have done with aman I, i'm sure we'll talk about it in later episodes but with the things that he brings up with this uh equalist movement oh my goodness yeah oh i i could i feel like i could write a novel on just how interesting of a storyline they popped open and they had to put right back down because they only had a season for it yeah absolutely um i mean i i I think the way his story concludes is beautiful in the way that they did it. Oh, I, the way they did it was more than fine. Just yeah. <laughs> the, the Pandora's box that it creaked open, like if they let it fully open, like they could have unleashed chaos on the Avatar world, but they put it right where it needed to be. But Yeah, oh. I, I mean, I think in hindsight, I mean, like, even though there were some good moments in season two of Korra, and I know we're jumping ahead with this, I, I really yeah. think that it would have been, it would have, been something so much more manageable for them to continue more of what was happening with this, or at least having him be like this kind of outlier. It's like, if he did get away, like, Mm -hmm. okay, we do have to deal with these things, but like, where is Amon? Do we have to worry about him? Like, do we have to worry about his ideas? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's why I love, and that's why I love the, like that they showed that he's bringing equality and him just going like, that he's going not only is he going to give non-benders power 
he's going to bring all the benders down to them. Yeah. Mm. And him just going, the revolution has begun with the banners in the background. Oh my God, the chills. Yep. It was so good. <laughs> oh, but uh, that fight, but I do love the fight that they had because that was an epic fight between um, Lynn and Cora uh, trying to fight off these people that like we never knew existed before. And then, of course, you get a lieutenant sub boss fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I mean, he's holding his own against Cora, too. Like, I. Oh, that's I, a dude who's clearly used those things before and knows what he's doing. Yeah. And, oh. Oh, oh so what good. a cool fight. Um, yeah, and of course. That, that whole, oh. uh, but we, we have, you know, this moment where Lynn is able to, like, attach to one of the, uh, you know, kind of, like, saucers that descended to help them, you know, that's, like, going back up into the airship. And she has this choice of, like, do I pursue mm-hmm. and just continue to do this? But, again, it's, like, for Lynn, there is no choice. She knows she has to save Korra. And you know, lets that go. But I think it's still such a great character moment because it's just showing, it's just like, she isn't so driven that she's blind to, you know, what could be lost in the meantime. Exactly. Where I'm sure she could have caused some damage and she could have roughed up a few people, but in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, she would have maybe won a battle to lose the war. You're Mm -hmm. right. And she, and she did all that. Now. And that's the, that's a seasoned, there and that's not like you know where we know Cora, which is essentially what she did. She just wanted to charge right in there. Yep. She wasn't thinking about anything else. She was just like, <laughs> "Nope, I'm gonna do it." Yeah. And Lynn, and Lynn, like you're right. That it's interesting to juxtapose the two of them because Lynn had the choice and probably could have done a lot more damage, and she chose not to do it. Mm-hmm. And and we see that echoed at the very end of this episode where Lynn says, "Well, we lost that one." And it's this understanding that she knows, all right, we lost this battle, but war's not over. And even Tenzin further like cementing that, just being like, we're at war. Republic City yep. is at war. Oh, man. Uh, I, I love the, because this was the, and I like it because, you know, it was an episode that involved, um, what's it called? Uh, pro bending mm-hmm. and what you think is just going to be this fun loving I mean remember about 45 minutes in terms of Korra time before this we were watching Pabu with a giant full belly on a ramen bowl <laughs> <laughs> and now we're experiencing what is essentially Republic City realizing oh crap yep this is bad mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely like things just got real all the fun and games that may have been happening up to this point. I mean, this is the midpoint of the show or the season anyway, but like any of the even remotely small fillers, it's out the window. Yep. It's, it's all business now. Yeah. And I mean, in like Amon detonated a bomb in the middle of the pro bending uh, arena and the image that I was going to say, yeah. it was one thing for them to paralyze everyone and make him listen to his lesson. But he blew up that stage. He could have very easily blown everyone else up in there, which, again, is part of his plan. But he also doesn't want to alienate his message, which is that the benders are the enemy. Mm-hmm. So by him taking away this pro-bending, this this vanity of bending, that these people are so powerful, they can fight each other for fun and still kick your ass after the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he's just going, nope. He's like, I'm taking, it's like, I'm hurting them. It's like anything else in history when people have this like um, 
I'm trying to think of the word, but like not a sore thumb, but like they, when people want to make other people suffer for their suffering, they'll do it. Yep. Um, and he's just opening up this can of worms that no one realized was a bigger thing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. Ah, oh. oh, so that that concludes uh, our discussion for uh, episode six in the winter is. Um, and I mean, th- this has been great. I'm so excited to get to talk about Cora again. There's just there's so much good good stuff to dive into and this first season is just it's so exciting it's so excellent oh man so good <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm just watching it through like now that we get to watch it through again i'm like oh my goodness now i remember why i love this show and these writers mm-hmm. absolutely you guys know their stuff ah uh, all right well kevin thank you so much uh for joining me for uh for this episode as well uh in the discussion thank you uh and thank you for all the wonderful insight that you shared Thanks for having me on. And in case you were wondering, I did get that golden chocobo. Yes. Yes. Nice. Oh, it's a good day. <laughs> got to do a podcast, got a golden chocobo. Yeah, it's it's not bad. It's all coming up Millhouse. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you all for listening into this episode. Um, and uh, be sure to uh, uh, chime in, check out us on social media. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Legend of Portalcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Portalcast Pod and visit our website at legendofportalcast.com where you can listen into the episodes but also subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, so be sure if you're listening there to uh, leave us a review. Uh, it really helps in terms of kind of getting the word out there and everything and uh, just super exciting stuff. Uh, this has been really fun to get to record these shorter format episodes. Um, and I uh, hope you guys are enjoying it. Thank you again so much for your feedback on that. Uh, and of course, we'd always love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us on social media with your comments. And also feel free to email us at legendofportalcast at gmail.com. Uh, thank you again so much for your support for the show. And until next time, let us leave.